Welcome to the SG Engage podcast, where it's all social good all the time. Sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends, big ideas, and best practices to help you drive impact. Today's episode features an excerpt of a webinar led by Brooke Hansel, nonprofit principal solutions marketer for Blackbaud, focused on how to overcome the challenges of donor acquisition and donor attrition by tapping into your existing supporters. Click on the link in the show notes to watch the full webinar and to learn how you can leverage technology to identify and message new donors within your supporter base. Enjoy the episode. To grow revenue, nonprofits must always attract a steady stream of new donors each year to replace those that are going to be lost. And in this world where consumers are increasingly distracted, heavily solicited by so many organizations, especially if we think about how digital we are now after the last year plus that we've been living through this pandemic, um, it's important more now than ever to focus your acquisition efforts close to home. And most of you all have supporters who, despite a lack of giving history, have engaged with you in some way in the past. So this might be volunteers or ticket buyers, or I think I saw um, a YMCA or a YWC on here, you know, it might be your members or for the humane organizations, it's your adopters and so on. And when there are potentially thousands of these supporters stored in databases that are outside of your fundraising system with a team that you might not even talk to, how do you really determine who to steward and how? And so in this session, we're going to take a closer look at the challenges that are associated with acquisition and some practical steps that you can take to establish a more streamlined process for converting those supporters into donors. So we mentioned this, it's a never ending challenge, right? To grow revenue, your goal's always getting bigger. Acquisition is critical given the whole leaky bucket idea. Um, you know, when we look at the stats here, median overall donor retention is 50%. So when we think about acquisition, in 2020, some of you on the call likely saw a spike in some of the subsectors. We saw some pretty significant growth in new donor acquisition, especially those that had missions related to the pandemic. So we're thinking food banks or animal welfare organizations, or especially social justice organizations as we lived through the injustices that have happened over the last um, and really been elevated over the last year. But for some of you on the call, 2020 was probably a pretty tough year. So we saw a lot of organizations with loss in event revenue. Um, many of you saw a reduction in staff. So being really thoughtful and precise about where you're spending your time is critical. And regardless of which side of the coin the, or your organization fell in 2020, almost all nonprofits that I'm talking to are looking for ways to diversify revenue and really leverage a data-driven approach to fundraising. And then we're hearing this huge need for communicating in a really effective and personalized way, being able to identify potential major donors and diversifying revenue across the organization has become even more important than ever before. So here is just some insight about first year retention. You'll see in the middle column. And when you look at that at first glance, it's probably gonna seem kind of underwhelming. Uh, the news improves as we move to and consider multi-year donor retention. So you move to that far right-hand column. Um, and as you see, those are significantly better than first-year donor retention. 
So this tells us two things. Number one, the importance of excellent stewardship and cultivation, especially people who are new to your mission. But it also tells us that there is a need to focus on the long-term value of donors when making decisions about how to engage them. So when we talk about acquisition, it's impossible to talk about it really without also talking about retaining the donors, especially those who are most likely to have a genuine interest in your organization or the type of mission that you're carrying out. So first things first, understanding your donor acquisition cost. If you don't understand what it costs to acquire a new donor, that's something that you can make quick work of figuring out. So this right here is just a super simple approach and a lot of organizations will start here. Certainly it's something that can grow in complexity over time, but this really just allows you to provide a baseline for building a strategic approach. So understanding how much are you spending on your donors, divide that by the total number of new donors, and that's gonna give you your donor acquisition cost. Um, and I would encourage you to do this both for new donors as well as donors that are continuing to support the organization. It's very likely um, that the cost will be less to acquire and retain those, um, but it's worth doing the calculation just to see and make sure. And then identifying prospects. So, you know, what I wanted to highlight here is just coming at this with, a, a, with curiosity. I love that word. And I think it's a great way to approach this idea of best prospect. So when you consider that concept for your organization, it's really a way for you to inform the acquisition and ongoing investment that you're putting towards these donors. So, you know, I encourage you to look beyond the simple answers of, oh, our best prospects are wealthy donors or wealthy people, or our best prospects are people who really love us. A lot of factors influence the balance of those, the balance of wealth and philanthropic characteristics and the answer to this can be fluid. So it might look differently now than it does in a year from now. So this is something that um, certainly as an organization you can consider revisiting. Um, there's a great white paper. I know we linked it in the resources section, but it's called the Changing Best Prospects. And I would um, encourage you all to take a peek at that resource as you're going through this work or considering some of these questions that we're um, posing today. And the other piece of identifying prospects is not just how do you do it, but how do you do it efficiently, right? We know that time is important, and I know that this is a group of people that like to play, so the more efficient we can be at doing this work, the more time we have to play. So, you know, efficiency is, you know, something that often will hinge on managing volume, the data that is required, and also the activity that is needed to actually do a good job. All right, so does your office use wealth screening tools? Another little quick survey. Click on the button and we'll take a peek at the results here in just a second. All right, cool, we got some results now. All right, so about half and half. So that's great. Some of you are using wealth screening tools, some are not. What we're finding is that organizations across all sectors are likely missing opportunities because you don't have the right tools. Um, and that might be in the form of wealth screening tools, it might be in other areas, but it's often a, a gap that we're seeing across the board. And so when we think about supporters, um, I encourage you to think about all the relationships that could potentially be supporters. So again, we're talking about volunteers or event participants, members, adopters, patients, 
um, and consider those folks as um, a prime place to start looking. And, you know, informed efficiency really does matter. So an easy to use screening tool that aligns the type of prospects on which you plan to focus with different types of outreach is really helpful. There are lots of kinds of data to consider, as I'm sure you all know, and there's certainly more than one way to approach this. But you know, needing quality name and address details is really important. So, you know, some solicitation or record keeping practices don't really focus on those details, but we certainly suggest that you need them for a couple of reasons. One, quality name and address inputs help you identify information in the public space. And then that type of data is also used to leverage more advanced analytics and data insight processes. So certainly um, it starts with you know, clean, good data health um, so that you can access some of those more advanced analytics along the road. And there's a couple of other things related to a data-driven approach that I would encourage you all to think about. Number one is the turnaround time for the data. So how long does it take for you to actually get that data back in a usable way? And also, what is the frequency that would work for you and your organization in terms of receiving that and actually using it to drive what we're calling informed development work? So, you know, that's when your team, your officers are really operating from, from a place where they know that they're reaching out to prospects that score really high from a wealth and propensity perspective. And then for the, those that don't, there's a way for them to accurately and efficiently and effectively communicate with them in a way that really matters. And so this concise data is really important as part of finding balance, especially for those of you that have um, really high volume. All right, so a traditional approach might look like this. And so what this is depicting is more, you know, kind of how things have been done historically, right? A lot more data and research early in the process. And what we found that is challenging with this approach is that you spend a ton of time on data upfront and early when you don't even know if that's needed to continue to build the relationship. So the best practice approach, which is what we really advocate for, is where an organization does more research along the way. So as this relationship develops and evolves, that's when you spend the time researching. Um, so you have kind of that upfront wealth identification, wealth qualification, some data to show you here's some of your potential best prospects. And then as that relationship develops and you engage with that supporter and potential donor, um, then you do additional research on that person and on that relationship to inform the next step. Again, informed development work is what we're talking about here. Okay, so who is up for a brief history lesson? Um, and some of you may have worked in healthcare and you, know, you might be familiar with this, but healthcare and the opportunity specific to educating patients and families about the importance of giving is something that in, in that grateful patient fundraising, or it might be grateful family fundraising, 
And um, they use this as a way to commonly um, approach and include those patients in both mass solicitation, as well as leveraging that group to identify major giving prospects. So they've really set a precedent among healthcare organizations for using publicly available data, as well as um, Blackbaud's Grateful Patient Solution to determine where these fundraisers should be spending their time. And the result is pretty awesome. So by leveraging the data to narrow the focus and do that informed development work, efficiency and fundraising improve. So you can see here in these healthcare fundraising studies, the case studies, organizations are experiencing up to 15% improvement in total fundraising dollars captured and up to 40% increase in new donors acquired. So I'm gonna pause here for just a minute and ask, what would 15% more fundraising dollars mean for your organization? What would that mean for your mission and your ability to accomplish it? And as far as donor acquisition, even if you didn't hit the 40% benchmark, what if you improved donor acquisition by 15%? And at the same time, you're working smarter and more efficiently, and you have more time to play. So this whole idea of grateful patient, grateful family fundraising, absolutely translates to nonprofits. And this is what it could look like if you took those examples and applied it. And I've mentioned this a few times, but it's looking at your groups of volunteers, your event participants, your ticket buyers. Um, if you're an advocacy organization, your petition signers, um, adopters, and understanding what would it take and who within that population is a prime major giving prospect and who should we be communicating with in a little bit different, in a little bit different way. Maybe we put them in a mid-level program, or maybe they're a prime candidate for monthly giving. And just a reminder, like these people share a familiarity with your brand. They obviously have a willingness to support your mission. So this idea of looking close to home, very similar to patients for healthcare organizations, and again, super relevant as we think about bringing this idea and concept over into the nonprofits. And if we look at volunteers, as just a small example of this, it works, right? There's a uh, Fidelity charitable study that showed volunteers donate 10 times more than donors who don't volunteer. So when we talk about value, it's huge. The link between volunteers and donors means that your organization needs to focus on retention, conversion strategies, and connecting that volunteer and donor data. Um, and same would be true for the other supporter groups that we mentioned.